Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Everyday Hair Colorist. Today, I have a very special guest from Texas, Mr. Chris Jones. He is an Instagram sensation, a salon owner. There's lots of things we want to talk about today, including his him being a brand ambassador. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, it's an absolute pleasure. I first met you at Behind the Chair last year when you came to London. It was the first time I'd met you. I'd seen some of your work on Instagram mm-hmm. um, and I didn't know anything about your story. So let's start at the beginning. How did you get into hairdressing? Um, you know, kind of like everyone else, I guess. Uh, you know, I didn't know that I had family that was in the business um, back in the 60s, probably, you know, well before I was born. Um, but you know, I would always see my mom um, pulling her hair through a cap, sitting on her bathroom floor and cutting my hair, cutting my sister's hair, even though she wasn't a hairdresser, she was an artist. And she just had the ability to see things and figure it out and sort of recreate it. So when I was a teenager, uh, my best friend and I took our haircut money that we were supposed to go get our haircuts with. And we went down to the local sort of department store and bought our first pair of clippers and he would cut my hair and I would cut his. And that's back when, um, you know, everyone had the actually very similar to today, disconnected long on top and then shaved around the sides and the back. So my buddy Matt would cut my hair. I would cut his hair. And that was when we were 14. And then um, he and I ended up at different high schools because we lived a few miles apart. So I ended up with the clippers at my house. So I started cutting my own hair. And then through high school, I started cutting all my buddies' hair. And so that's really, really where it started was when I was a wee lad, right? Like 14. So uh, once we, you know, I was got through high school, started taking classes at local junior colleges and stuff like that. And a friend of mine invited me to come to a salon that she was working at. She was a receptionist and she was trying to fill her position and she knew that I loved being around hair. So I ended up going by there and meeting the, the uh, salon owners and really cool guys. And I loved the atmosphere. I loved the energy in the salon. And so I started answering phones uh, at the age of 19 or 20. And then within three months, I was enrolled in cosmetology school. And that was almost 24 years ago. So it's been a while. Wow. So you started off being a receptionist. Absolutely. In, in yeah. the business. So you right. really, truly understand how hard that job is. I respect every bit of the receptionist position. Yeah, I've been yeah. there. I did it for about a year, you know, in addition to being in, in, in beauty school. And so, no, I've always appreciated and understood the importance and how hard the job is. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a really incredibly hard job, but it also wields a lot of power. I think you should, receptionists have, um, can make or break you, can't they? Absolutely. Yeah, they're the the forefront, right? They're the face. Ah. And so, yeah. Absolutely. An incredibly important job. So for the audience um, in the UK, it's slightly different to the USA. You don't have to go to beauty school full time to get your license. You basically can go part time or you can go full time or you can apprentice in a salon. So it's a little bit different. Right. Um, And of course, in America, it changes from state to state, doesn't it? That's right. That's right. Yeah, we have um, 1500 uh, basically classroom slash um, instructional hours that you have to complete. You check in like a job. You clock in when you get there in the morning, you clock out when you leave. And then once you get your 1500 hours, the school issues your paperwork to the state and then you're allowed to go take your, your test to get your license. Right. And now you're a salon owner. 
I've been a salon owner for a while now. Yeah, this is um, this, the location that I'm in right now has been here since um, this is our eighth year at this location. We had a smaller location about three years prior to that. And then I, I was a booth rental before that, you know. Oh, so, so you went from kind of come up in booth, the ranks. Went from booth rental, which is basically renting a chair or, or renting right. a, a, what are they called in America where it's they like do a that? Suite. Sweet 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 rental. That's it. And now you're the boss. I don't like to call myself that. I literally, I I've never referred to myself as a boss. Um, Team leader, a teammate. Yeah. I mean, we're all we all do the same job. I mean, my business partner and I just have more debt than our employees, right? So, um, you know, I've always referred to my staff as teammates. You know, I've never I would never want them to think that they were any less than myself. I think not. that's really important, isn't it? Because the team is so important when you're running a salon. It's Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that also anyone that works in a salon that works for a company, if they don't view their column as their own business, I think that's a disaster because that your day is, you manage your day well and that's where you make your money. That's right. That's right. How, how many team members do you have? There's, um, so my business partner and I, we have a 10 chair salon. We just recently expanded about a year and a half ago. So for a while we only had four chairs and her and I occupied two of those. Yeah. So, um, you know, right now we've got six chairs of the 10 working and then we have two apprentices that are training for two more of the chairs and then we have reception. So, you know, there's nine or 10 of us nice. and we're, you know, we're currently hiring another apprentice or in the search of, so you know, we, we have a, a good size salon. Our salon's almost 3,000 square feet, but we only have 10 chairs. That's so enormous. 3,000 square is, feet is enormous. Yeah. It's tw- almost, it's just over 2,700 square feet. Wow. And it's great. It's like each stylist has almost like their featured area. So, you know, it's, it's spacious and it's expensive, but it's, you know, in the long run, I think that it's a better environment or a a great environment for our staff. And I think it's a great environment for the client when they come in. Yeah, I think space is a premium, isn't it? And of course, in London, space is really hard to find. So they were all work a little bit closer. But when I ever go mm-hmm. to the States, I always see how the salons are just much larger and it just feels it feels less crazed in there because, you know, a day could be really crazy. That's right. Yeah. So in the day-to-day, Chris, what, what does your day look like? How many clients do you try and look after in a day normally? Well, because um, a lot of people don't know this, but I also do color. So it just I depends. didn't know that. I do color. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah. I've just branded myself on social media in strictly haircutting. You know, people have always said, pick your lane. Well, I've always felt like I've excelled more in haircutting. Right. I enjoy, I enjoy color, but I love cutting hair. So... Um, but in the salon, it just depends on, you know, how it is, depending on how many haircuts I have. I always say I don't count how many clients I have. I'm here 11 hours a day. Right. And so however my day shapes up, depending on how many colors, how many full highlights, how many haircuts, how many men's cuts, you yeah. know, my, my day changes. But I, I'll, instead of, you know, sort of calculating how many clients I do a day, I do 11 hours worth of hair a day. So whatever fits in that time slot. Yeah. Great. And is it 45 minutes for a haircut with you or do you have assistants blow drying for you or? 
No, I, I don't, I don't do the shampoos, but I do all the blow dries, all the finishes. So I do typically an hour for a haircut. I'll do right. an hour and 15 for a new client. Cause I like to spend that time during the consultation. Yeah. And then that, you know, if a new client is having a hard time finding the salon, that gives them a little buffer to be a few minutes late, but no, I do an hour and 15 for a new client and then an hour for regular clients. Nice. So yeah. pretty much how we do it in England, really, except you're doing 11 hour days, which are long days. But I, I love my American hairdressers because they all seem to work so hard. They always want to make it happen. Right. Um, yeah. Which is really important. Well, you know, it's just we I think that, you know, being in the business as long as you and I both have, it's like your book just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it's, you know, it's flattering. I mean, we're all we all lose clients. They try other hairdressers or they move away. But over the course of a 24 year career in the same community, your books just get fuller and fuller. So naturally, you know, your days get longer and longer. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, at the salon at 7am and then usually out of here by six or six thirty PM. So, yeah, I mean, that's, those are long days. I, I would prefer not to work that many hours, but it's just sort of the way the direction, um, that my career has taken me. It's just instead of working nine to six, now it's eight to six, then it's seven to six. And then, you know, your days just sort of shape sort of naturally that way or that towards that direction. That's cool. And what about your team? How do you keep your team motivated? I think that, you know, we all inspire each other daily. Um, You know, they, uh, they, and especially in the beginning, of course, they look to my business partner and I, Um, she does all the color education. I do all the cutting so naturally, they look to us uh, for guidance, um, inspiration, and motivation. And then I feel like over the course of their career, it's like now I look to them for the same inspiration, same motivation. Um, you know, so instead of, you know, I, in, in addition to the positive atmosphere that we have, and in, in, in a side in addition to, um, you know, the environment that we've created, which is a very healthy work environment. Yes. Um, I feel like, you know, they inspire us as much as we inspire them. So it's, it's like we are truly a team. And, um, but, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of the social media stuff that I've come into in the last year or so has, has motivated and helped people because they can see that, you know, a, relatively small town hairdresser can achieve some pretty amazing things. So I think that that's been helpful. Yes, I think social media is helpful. And I want to dig deep into that in a little bit later on. But I agree with you that one of the things I love about working in a salon, and my job takes me out of the salon as much as it keeps me in the salon, is that I love the energy of co-workers and what they bring to the table too. Because somebody's always got a new idea or a fresh take on something. And it keeps mm-hmm. me, it keeps me in the game still because, you know, I've, I've been hairdressing 30 odd years and I could still be doing cap highlights and acidic perms, but right. I'm not. Do you know what I mean? It's like it moves and I've moved with it. And I love working around younger people and they question you and challenge you in different ways. I think it's really cool. Let's talk about your social thing. So how did that all happen? You were anti-social media, weren't you? I was. I was, um, yeah, I just didn't, I I resisted it. You know, I was on social media years ago 
And, you know, all my accounts, I had like Facebook and Instagram and stuff, but it was all private. It was all just pictures of my kids and my family and my wife and stuff like that. And then um, I just decided one day that because of my personality, which is like a lot of us, addictive personalities, you know, I just wanted to put it down. And so I deleted everything in one day. I deleted all social media and I went about five years with, with none of it. And, um, that's about five years later, uh, you know, some of my coworkers were encouraging me to start a hair page and just post hair pictures. Why were your coworkers encouraging you to? Um, I think it's because they had hair pages and I think they saw something in me that would probably do well at it. Right. Um, I've, I've always just had a, an eye for marketing and, you know, I feel like hair is, you know, let's say 50% of it, but branding and marketing is the other 50%. I just think that they saw something in me. And they also, I think they sensed, um, some major burnout on my end. Right. And I really felt, I really felt like they thought that would help, um, you know, sort of relight a fire in me because I was, I was struggling. I was really sort of losing interest in the whole, not in the industry. I just lacked motivation. Right. And I felt, I felt like that's what, um, Instagram reinstilled in my career is I see every time I open my Instagram, I, I, I am, I'm motivated and I'm inspired. So they encouraged me. They thought it would be something that, you know, helpful for me. So three years ago in February, so a little over three years ago, I started my, my hair account. And so three years ago, you had no followers. Zero. Zero. zero and we all yeah. and we we all start with zero though don't we yeah we all have to and because uh, everyone's always panicked i think about um when you when we talk to people they always seem panicked about it that they're they're not going to have hundreds of thousands of followers or they're not going to you know be popular or anything like that and i always say to people look it's really about speaking to your audience that's the first thing your clients right, right. that's the initial conversation isn't it so how did you start out with it I started like everybody else. Um, you know, I posted pictures of balayage and I would post pictures of men's haircuts. And then, um, you know, I, I really, I would post a, a, a color video where I was doing a, believe it or not, I was doing like a vivid on a pixie. And, you know, I was just, my, my page was all over the place. Um, you know, my photography was, I was using an iPhone, which I, you know, I still swear by today. I don't, I don't use an iPhone for photography anymore, but 90% of my po my posts on my page were taken with an iPhone. But I would literally walk up to a client when she was signing a credit card receipt with her purse on her shoulder and take a picture of the back of her head and post it. Right. And, and wonder why, why wasn't it doing well, you know? And so I started, uh, you know, I follow pages just like yes. we all do. And I started seeing what I liked in their pages and I started gaining inspiration from other pages saying, well, I like what he's doing there. I like what she's doing there. And um, then I started to hone in on what I felt like was my calling. And I'm sure you follow Ivan, Just Hair Obsession. Yes. Yeah. He was the one that told me. He said, you need to pick a lane. And he said, you know, I'd always heard that. I'd heard it from Mary. I'd heard it from other people saying, you know, pick a lane. But he said, you need to, you're a haircutter. You need to focus on haircutting. It's hard, isn't it? Because as a salon owner, in your case, there's a, there's a 
an understanding need that you want to show as much of what you do as possible, thinking that that will speak to more people. Right. But quite often when you look at those pages, they are confusing because the message is so diluted Mm, in there. That's right. And I've often heard Mary say the same thing, and she said it on this podcast about finding your lane. Right. It doesn't mean to say that you don't do all those things. It just is like staying with one voice through the conversation. Right. And I, I, I kind of adopted the same attitude probably two and a half years ago. And then, so once I really started focusing on haircutting, um, my photography started to get a little better. You know, I bought a, a backdrop so that I would have less distractions behind my work. And then um, I, it was funny, Jack, about for about a year, I had a hundred posts because every time I would post a new picture, I would archive an old one so that I, so that my page sort of started to transform and take shape into what I really wanted it to. Yes. I, when I had this sort of moment a couple of years, three years ago, I think, and I was talking to a guest the other day about it and we were all in this room, a group of us, and I came back and I deleted all my old posts instead of archiving them. And now I kind of think I shouldn't have done that. It's sort of a slight regret because when you scroll back, it's nice to see a journey, your own personal journey. That's right. So, So you archived as you started going along. I did. And, and you know, what's funny now that you say that is I've gone back and look at my archive posts. Um, there's a bunch of them, you know, I think perfectionists, we all archive probably too much, but it was, it's fun to kind of go back and look at those. And, and it's, it's sometimes you'll see an old post that you archived and you're like, why did I archive that? And then it's sort of like, well, maybe I'll repost that later. I remember you saying that sometimes you'd grab a receptionist and get her to film a little segue as you were doing a cut line. Right. Because you don't have a huge crew in the salon and they're all busy. I know that some stylists have got like three assistants and they're doing it that way. How do you capture those magic moments in a busy 11-hour day? Um, So it depends on how much time I have. If I have a little extra time with a client, especially if I know I'm going to video her, then I'll book... A, a little extra time with her. Right. And, but, but you're right. I'll have, uh, either a, a, one of my receptionists or one of my apprentices come over and, you know, I show them the angles that I want and what I want to highlight. And so instead of them standing there for a full hour recording a haircut, I call them over in say 15 second segments. And I know whenever I'm going to shoot a video, I know what I want to show. I know I want to show say, three, four, five portions of the haircut. I'm not trying to video the entire haircut. So I'll just call them over and tell them, you know, show them what I'm going to cut. If I'm going to be cutting that section right to left or left to right, that way my body position isn't in the way. And then I'll have her record for say 15 seconds. And then she sets my phone down and then goes back to work. And then when I get to the next portion of the haircut that I want to highlight, then I'll bring her back over. She records. So in total, um, whoever I ask for help to record my videos is only really standing beside me for less than three or four minutes during the entire haircut. That's such fantastic advice because the other thing that, that you must hear as well when you do these social media panels is how do I do this? And everyone thinks they've got to be 
absolutely fantastic at everything straight away, which none of us ever are. If you can remember mm-hmm. your first haircut, you can, or your first foil highlight, you'll know that. And I think that everyone thinks that, you know, it's, it's all got to be amazing when you're just taking bits and pieces. How did you discover that? You know, I discovered it because I would, I would have my, somebody videoing for me and I would go home to edit these videos and I'm trying, this was before IGTV, but I was trying to squeeze an entire haircut and styling in a 60 second video. Right. So I would get home and I would have, you know, 32 minutes of content. And I'm like, how do I edit this down to 60 seconds? And it's kind of like Jack, it's like being on stage. It's like, what are your key points? You've only got X amount of time on stage to get your point across. So when I, when I'm shooting a video now, I would rather have say 15, 10 second clips rather than having 32 minutes of footage to try to edit. So because it means when you get home, it's easier for you to handle. Oh, it's so much easier. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm going to do, if let's say I'm doing a Bob, I can show, one, maybe two sections of cutting the nape wet, one or two little sections of cutting the perimeter dry, one or two little sections texturizing, and then one little segment of the finish. And I've got 60 seconds worth of content. It takes me, the video that I won, the one shot of hair award took me less than 10 minutes to edit. And I, and my receptionist spent a total of five minutes recording and I won a one shot hair award with it. Yeah, which is absolutely bloody amazing, isn't it? It is. It's just, it's, it's, I feel like simplifying and kind of uh, simplifying everything that we do in terms of social media pays off because my videos are, you know, all shot with iPhones. Um, it's not in a studio, it's in the salon. Yeah. And, but it's, you become a little mini film director when you're, when you're wanting to record a video and Another thing that I started doing within my videos is I started slowing them down. Um, I use an app called InShot and InShot gives me the ability to take each, the entire video or each segment of the video and, and increase or reduce the speed of the video. So if real time is 1.0, 2.0 would be twice the speed of real life, right? I like to kind of go in that like 1.2 to 1.3. And all that means in simple terms is that my videos are slightly faster than real life, just slightly faster. Because if I'm watching a video and it's sped up so fast, now it looks like a time lapse, right? Well, and as a viewer, I I don't learn anything from that. It's too fast. So I would rather have less footage and, and slightly increase the speed to where it's legible and and record that way. So my my take on recording videos has really sort of evolved over the last year or two. And the one thing that I feel like has made my videos successful is I adopted the attitude, am I showing how or am I showing off? And that's very good. Right. And so very good. I want to show how. If somebody can take watch one of my videos. 60 seconds and literally pick up one little tip on and they apply it towards their next haircut, then that video to me is a success, no matter how many views it gets. Yes. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons that you've done so well is because you are showing how, I mean, you've now hit, 
I'm just looking at your page. You've now hit two hundred and fifty-two thousand followers. It's crazy in three years. I mean, that's outstanding, isn't it? It's it's outrageous, and I mean, I think that a lot of that is credited to my engagement with my audience. Yes, and I think this is a this is this is the other thing that I think people forget is that if you don't engage with your audience, mm-hmm. it's not going to grow, and. I think engagement is probably more important than followers, isn't it? Total. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're trying to, if you want to achieve maybe a contract with a color line or a styling brand or something like that, they really look at engagement. Yes. I mean, I don't, if I had 800,000 followers, but I only had a, if I had a very small engagement, you know, as a, if I were a company and I was looking for an influencer or an educator, it's like, I would rather find someone with a smaller audience with higher engagement because I know they're reaching their audience. Yes. And this is what I always talk to people about. It's like, forget your numbers, mm-hmm. speak to your audience, which generally for salon owners and salon stylists and colorists is the people that come to them and maybe attracting new people in their area. It gets to a point, obviously, with someone like you, where you're speaking to people across the planet at this right. point. You're not right. speaking just just to your clients. But that That's wasn't right. the intention, was it? The intention was to speak to your clients and people that liked your work in your area. It started that way, right? Because yes. you know, when you when you first get on any platform of social media, your immediate friends, family, clients, those are your followers. Yes. And the, and then next thing you know, you're like, wow, someone in um, Brazil is following me. So now I'm like, you know, it you start to see your, your reach expand and then it makes the world a very small place. Yes. So I would say that, yeah, my intentions when I first got on social media, I didn't know what my intentions were. I was just sort of throwing it out there like a digital portfolio just to advertise and show my work. I really didn't know what was going to come of it. I never would have dreamed that a year or two later it would be where it is today, but you know, it's it's really that social media platform has opened up so many doors that I'll forever be grateful for. You know, I get it's mind blowing where my career's gone in the last year or eighteen months. Yes, um, solely because of yeah, because of Instagram. It's crazy. Well, not just because of Instagram, because there is also you have to acknowledge there is a skill set there that you've got a very good skill set. I mean, your work is beautiful. Thank you. And you have a cross-section of ages on your page. It's not just young, pretty girls. It's very attractive older women too. Right. And mainly bobs as well in there, isn't it? It seems like you're, you've, you've honed that talent down right. to, like, very tight. Yeah, you talk about picking a lane. It's like I'm picking the, <laughs> a very specific portion of the lane now. Yes. And, you know, it's... For some reason, even way before the internet, way before social media, I've always loved that haircut and I've always loved the variations of the haircut. So whenever I got on social media, I started following certain pages like on, you know, I know you just had him on and I started seeing haircuts that I love to do that other people are doing really well. And then it's sort of, sort of it's like I'm being inspired by their ideas and their finishes and stuff like that. But yeah, that haircut to me is, it's timeless. It is timeless. And what's interesting about Instagram is that it made me look at that haircut differently again, because of course, you know, 
I've seen it in a couple of decades, every few decades it's sort of in, but the way in which it's styled and cut, it's all very modern and very youthful. And, and I it think is. that's what I like about Arne's page as well. It's, it's really pretty work. Right. Really pretty. Well, and I love the, you know, there's, it seems like everybody kind of boxes a bob into, into one category, but there's so many different directions, so many different shapes, so many different lengths that you can, that you can go with that haircut. I mean, people that may be insecure about their face shapes, well, you don't have to go very short. You can leave it collarbone. Now it's a lob, but it's still in that family. Yes. Um, and now I'm loving like a whole new fire is lit under me with going more with that French bob that I've been posting lately, you know, yes. much shorter, a little yes. bit of graduation in the back, a full bang or a fringe, you know, I mean, it's, and so I'm, I'm like, you know, how can I make, how can I make this haircut fresh, even though it's still thriving, but it's like, if I don't want to post the same haircut over and over and over. And it, if you glance at my page, to the average person, it's like he only does one haircut. But I mean, there's there's no, so many you, different. You know, yeah. you get it. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to. I just want to say, I wanted to talk to you about the French Bob you did for the One Shot Awards. I think it's for this year because right. it was. It's this one. Yes, I just love that. Me too. I loved Me it too. so much as soon as I saw it, and she's so beautiful. Look at that profile. I mean, that's. Oh, yeah, that is, that's my that's the that's my favorite haircut that I there's probably two or three that I've posted on my page that I would if I had to delete my entire page and keep three, that would be one of them. I love that. I love the color on it, too, because it had what I call negative space. It had some depth in it as well as it still having all that pop and everything. Really pretty. Let's talk about cuts and colors and how you see them working together. Now, you you do both, which is really cool. So um, I feel like, and I'm, I feel like there's a lot of colorists that do amazing color and then, and then their haircuts, they just, you know, they, they trim the ends, they add a few layers and then they curl it to show off their color. Right. Yeah. So they're predominantly colorists where I'm the opposite. I'm a haircutter that I do. I feel like I do just enough color to make my haircuts look good. Right. Right. So, um, when it comes to placement, when I'm doing balayage, um, TZ lights, whatever technique I'm doing, it's like, I'm just trying to create dimension in the hair. I'm just trying to create texture through color. Um, but for me, it's like my color is, uh, sort of like almost secondary to my haircut. Right. And so I do, I do realize, and I do see the importance of cut and color working together and when I first started doing hair, the first six or seven years, I worked in a departmentalized salon. Yes, um, I me strictly too. cut hair. Yeah, strictly cut hair. And I would feel, I felt like if I was, if I went to the colorist and I said, this is the look I'm going for, this is kind of what I would love to see in the color, they would almost put their hand in my face saying, don't tell me how to do my job. Right? I, I do, I do feel that was 20 that, years ago. So that's, yeah, the I do feel then. that does go on. Yeah, that's a hard one, isn't it? Because I think that everybody wants to shine and do their best. And sometimes I think when somebody comes to you and says, oh, this is what I want, 
But really, it should always be when you're working with a colorist or a cutter, it should be a club about what the client's looking for and how you're going to approach it and an ideas thing. But I think the days of those kind of hair colorists and those kind of hairdressers are gone anyway. I think you're right. I think the drama thing. Well, in the the term 20 years ago, collaboration didn't exist in the hair world. Well, there is that too. Good, good point. And it does now. It's kind of like if, if I'm working with a a girl in the salon, that's going to do the color. It's like, okay, now it's a collaboration. Yeah. And that sounds different than saying, um, I'm the cutter. This is how I want the color done. That kind of attitude. You're right. It doesn't work and it really doesn't exist in the salon anymore. Um, which is why I think that, you know, you're seeing more and more teams go out there. Like if you and I were to team up, it'd be brilliant, right? Because... Oh, I'd love to team up with you. I know, like your color yeah. and my cut. And I mean, it would be a great collaboration. So... It, it's something that wasn't really talked about in the UK because everyone was so brand specific. And when I came back to England, of course, that I wasn't working for a brand at the time and I don't cut... I don't, you know, I do cut, but I don't cut. Right. I do blow dry, but you wouldn't want to blow dry. I don't, I don't really enjoy it, you know, right. but I, I enjoy the, the collab piece. And I found when I've done some campaigns and stuff, it's been really wonderful to work with other hairdressers who are cutting and styling and to tell them kind of where I go and they get a taste of me. And it's somebody, somebody talked about it the other day. It was a beauty editor we were speaking with about a taste test Mm -hmm. and how it fitted together really well. And I think that, you know, sort of in your heart, when you're looking at somebody's work, whether or not you could collab with them. Oh, totally. I totally get that. Yeah, totally. And I'd love if if we get back to London, maybe we can do something next year or this year if it all happens. Right. How did Behind the Chair find you? How did Mary find you? She found me, and I remember, it's it's almost like, uh, it's it sounds silly, but it's like when you, re- when you can put yourself vividly in a place where something historical happened, it's like it was yesterday, right? Yes, yes, and, very much so. And, I, and it was hilarious. It's like I was finishing up the day, and I checked my phone and I had a notification that Mary behind the chair started following me. I had the same thing and I was sat on my sofa and I was just like, I nearly wet myself. And then within, I would say 10 minutes, they reposted a haircut that, um, that I had done. Oh, wow. And that was blew my mind. I mean, I literally went straight. I was going to the bar anyways for a drink after work. Yeah. It turned into like six drinks. (laughs) It's like I celebrated that was like a huge moment um, in my career, not just in social media, but to be recognized on that platform yes. and to be and to be, uh, you know, to see something, a page like behind the chair and, and someone with an eye like Mary's that recognizes and appreciates your work and is willing to put it on their page. That was yeah. the it was the one of the biggest compliments I've had in my career. Behind the chair are brilliant, aren't they? Because. They, Mary's been on the show and she, and I just think she's a really interesting woman, incredibly kind and she's, and clever, Very but clever. she just, they recognise the commerciality of, of what we all do. And I love the fact that that platform, it does speak to super artistry, that sort of elite artistry that we wouldn't do in a sound, but it does speak to the majority of us who work behind a chair. I think that that's their, their primary audience is people like you and I that do marketable hair. Yes, absolutely. And they, they've got a great voice. 
So you become part of the BTC family now, haven't you? They did. They uh, they reached out to me. Um, it's probably been a year and a half ago, and they asked me if I would be interested in being on the BTC team, yeah. which is which is basically like being an influencer. So I'm I'm on the influencer side, and then they have brands that advertise through behind the chair, and they connect with brands that they feel like would be a good fit. Right. So because I pro, because I push haircutting, you know, I'm probably not going to be on a sponsorship with Truss or, or uh, you know, a color line. Right. So they started finding, you know, styling lines that I could advertise for and promote on my social media. So being on the, you know, on the BTC team is a, it was a great honor. And it was probably one of the next big steps in my career because then that led to um, going on stage for a short period of time in 2018 at the big show right. in San Antonio. Was that the first time you'd been on stage? So, the, yeah, I did five minutes for Hot Tools. I went on stage with Buddy Porter. Right. And I was shaking. I can't believe I was even able to section the hair. I was literally in front of about 3,000 people with a hot curling iron in my hand, shaking like a leaf. <laughs> I had never heard my voice come through speakers before, right? It's like right. the only singing it, I do is in the car. It's like I've never heard my voice fill a room like that. So It's I such on, a different venue, isn't it, to, to be on stage? is so different from being in the salon. Yeah. yeah so there you are, shaking with a hot tool with Buddy Porter. Yeah, and so they had asked me um, about three or four days prior to the show if I would do it. And I thought it was going to be in the connection center, sort of the the area where all the booths are. So right. I thought I would be in the hot tools booth with eight people watching, you know, and the person that called me said, no, it's going to be on the main stage. And I told myself, say yes, say yes, say yes. Yeah. And so I said yes. And then I hung up and I was like, what the hell did I just say? So, <laughs> so I get, so I'm in San Antonio and they, uh, I hadn't heard anything. It had been, now it's almost like the end of the show. I still haven't heard anything. And I got a phone call and he said, do you still want to do it? I said, well, I didn't know if it was still happening because I hadn't heard anything. He goes, no, it's happening. I said, when? He goes, 30 minutes. I was, I was drinking a beer wearing shorts and a t-shirt, right? Like, <laughs> like you do. <laughs> yeah. So I went to the, I, 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 I said, no. And then Quinn, um, you know, the director of the show comes up and she was you like, said no. I said, no, yeah, I was, I bailed. And then wow. Quinn, the director of the show comes up, walks right up to me five seconds after I said no on the phone. And she was like, are you still going to do it? I said, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. I don't have a model. I'm not prepared. And then Buddy walks up and he was like, he was like, let's do it. If you do it, I'll do it. And had Buddy done it before at that point or had he never done it either? Buddy, oh, Buddy had been on stage multiple times with BTC, so he was he was the so, yeah he was the bridge. He, yeah, absolutely the bridge. But isn't that a lovely thing that the support that we have in our community on all the different stages that we go through of somebody saying, "Come on, we can do this. It's only going to be for five minutes. You can do it." He did it, and that's he was that person for me. I would not have gone on stage if it hadn't been for him. So yeah. we went out, we ran around, found two models. And I ran upstairs were, to my hotel. You were at a hair show, so there was, there was bound to be plenty of models. Plenty, yeah. And what's yeah. funny is, is I've that model. I've done her hair twice at two different hair shows now. So uh, that was really cool. But yeah, it was just it sort of evolved into that. Um, 
And that was a little bit of a test. That five-minute yes. commercial I did for Hot Tools was a little bit of a test. So then I ended up um, being invited to come out to L.A. and do a BTC University. So I did a haircut, a 90-minute yeah. live haircut you know, to their audience. And that went really well. She was really happy with that. So it just led to – and then inviting me to come on the tour. Last yes. year we did six cities. And it's just – I've developed this friendship and this relationship with Mary – Haley, Quinn, the entire BTC family, by far the nicest people, as you know, the nicest people I've met in the business. They, they, yes. they are so they really kind are. and so caring. Yeah. They are so kind and they are so caring and they're also really good at what they do. Very good. Um, Absolutely. But you, what I liked about you on stage was that you were uh, incredibly generous, incredibly calm. You didn't try and hog the stage you were supportive of everyone else that whole that comes across in everything i see of you there's this lovely calmness and kindness in it thank it's you really that's, nice well that jack i mean that that's that's a bigger compliment than you could give me about any of my haircuts you know to to remain um you know I'm from the south so maybe that has something to do with the yeah the hospitality and the you know the I don't know, but you know, a big, a big saying in our, in our family, and it's very cliche, but it's to remain humble and kind. And we instill that in our children. Um, My wife lives by that. And, you know, I just feel like at my age, maybe it just comes with a little bit of maturity, but this industry has given me so much over 24 years that I feel like this second half of my career is all about giving back. And kind of like what we talked about the engagement on social media is if, if someone can take five, six, seven, ten seconds to write a compliment on a, on a haircut that I did, the least I can do is say thank you. Absolutely. I think people are always surprised when they, they realize that it's actually you responding. Oh, do you know yeah, what I mean? And, like, but- and, they'll, and it's so funny because they'll, they'll message me and they'll ask me a question about a blow dryer or about a pair of shears or about virtue. And I, and I respond in there. And the very first thing they say is, oh, my God, thank you so much for responding. And I'm like, yeah. it's social media. Yes, absolutely. It's You're social supposed to be media. social. Yeah. yeah. And it, it does bother me. And, I, and I, I used to say, you know, how many followers do you have to have before you stop responding? Because it would bug me whenever I would respond to someone that I respect and I follow. And then I would get nothing, right? Yes. Like, not even a thank you, no acknowledgement, nothing. And then, I, then I'm like, okay, well, I look at people like Chris Appleton. He's got like 1.2 million followers. He posts something and he gets 4,500 comments. Well, clearly he can't respond to everyone. I get that. Yeah. And, um, but what I like to do when I post something is I like to devote one hour of undivided attention to my following. So... If I post a haircut at noon on a Sunday and I'm sitting out by my pool, my audience knows that they have an undivided hour of my attention Yeah, where I'm answering questions or returning comments or thank yous and all that stuff. So, you know, Maddie Conrad asked me, he's like, how do you, when do you post? Like, what is your, what is your strategy on time when you post? I was like, I don't have a strategy. I post when I have time to post. Right. And if I'm if it's Sunday and my wife and kids are going to go run an errand, that's a great time for me to post. Yeah. Because I can do it while they're gone and you know, it, it's kind of like time management that way, but 
Anyways, that was a rant. Sorry. No, I <laughs> think it's really important. It's really important, I think, that everyone, well, everyone, I don't think everyone understands when you, you're busy. We're all busy. We all lead these busy lives. But I think to run a, a successful a large account, mm-hmm. you do need to respond to your audience. You do need to say thank you. There's nothing wrong with saying thank you. In fact, it's only good manners. You nailed it. A, a, a client of mine told me a long time ago, her dad said, good customer service is nothing more than good manners. Absolutely. It's not rocket science. But, and, you know, you can ignore, you know, if somebody's trolling you, you can ignore it or delete them. And I get loads of messages that, of people I'm not following. And I try and get through those too. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's impossible. It is. But you can only do your best, can't you? You can only do your best. Yeah, sometimes I'll see in the, re- you know, in your DMs where it has requests from people that you don't follow. Sometimes that number starts yeah. to get kind of big and I start to get a little like anxious because it's like I know I haven't responded to those people. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's I have a large following that aren't um, that don't speak English, so I can't respond to them. Um, right. But and then I get a lot of the same questions over and over. And so I try to, you know, I try to put as much in my caption as possible that will answer a lot of the questions. But then again, it's like I'd like to leave some of those open ended um, questions, I would say, like if I post a picture or a video of a haircut or something, you know, I want my audience to ask me what shears I'm using. You know, I want that engagement. So I never, um, when, when they stop asking and when they stop commenting is when that's when I'll be concerned. Yes. Right. So in the meantime, as, as long as people are, you know, asking me questions about hair products and, you know, all hair related things, I'll answer those questions all day long. If I ever get a personal question in my DM, I just delete it. I don't respond to those. Um, that's kind of my general rule. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been fun. <laughs> it sounds fantastic. I love the fact that there are people like yourself in the industry that have still managed to keep it fresh, still managed to keep it interesting and still grown mm-hmm. rather than stagnating. Uh, let's talk a little bit before we move on to the sort of current climate we're in. Talk a little bit about your brand ambassadorship. So you're brand ambassador for two brands, I believe. I'm an ambassador for Virtue Labs, which is a three-year-old hair care company um, out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Right. And they are amazing. And I don't, I'm not just an ambassador for Virtue. I've, I've literally had Virtue in my salon for a year before that ambassadorship even started. So that's where, you know, in terms of seeking ambassadorships, I've always had a golden rule and that's that I want it to be authentic. Yes. I don't, you know, I wouldn't, I can honestly say that I just, I would not be paid or, or promote a product that I don't use in the salon every single day. Um, so virtue has been amazing. I signed a contract with them, a one year contract starting in January one of this year. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you. And it was one of those things. It's like, even all these, all the BTC shows that I did last year, Arc was my sponsor. You know, I was using Arc scissors on stage, um, but I would always use Virtue to style with because not only did I love their products and I had them in the salon, but I was, I wanted to build a relationship with Virtue because yes. I wanted to team. I felt like it was such a good fit because I already loved their products that much. Um, and then uh, Arc scissors, which has been around a couple years now. And that's been huge. I mean, as a hair cutter, there's no better... Uh, partnership than with a really, really high quality Japanese scissor. 
right? I mean, I've mm, gotten, multiple, I've gotten yeah. dozens of dozens of offers from other manufacturers and scissor companies. And um, just like with Virtue, I mean, my heart is with not only the brand uh, and not only the product, but the people behind the product and what they stand for was a, a perfect fit for me. So um, Arc Scissors and Virtue are my two ambassadorships. That's fantastic roles. And I think you're right. I think that people know when something isn't authentic, it's easy to tell. Very easy and to tell. Why would you go after that that paycheck, which would be short term, when you can keep your authenticity, keep your truth, and possibly find a, a collaboration later on down the line? There's always this seems to be rush people rushing to do things when they don't right. believe in the product. Right. And I mean, when I, when I first started getting these opportunities coming in, I did a couple of very short term uh, campaigns. They're not really ambassadorships, but it's where they send me some product and then I, you know, I play around with it and use them. And, you know, I never said yes to a product that I didn't like, but I did find that it is so much easier to promote a product line that you love. You love. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because you love what you do. We love what we do as hairdressers and colorists. If you don't love the product or the tool, what's the point? That's right. Absolutely. I have to speak to the current climate, Corona, Mm -hmm. um, or COVID-19, as they're suddenly calling it, which has been devastating for our industry. It is. Um, So many of us had to close down for the moment because, well, I think all of us have had to close down. And a lot of people are worried about money. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there are government packages coming in the USA and the UK and, and Europe as we speak. Right. Which we'll all finally figure out. I think people are expecting a lot from a government in a two-week in a two-week process. It takes mm-hmm. time to put these things out. How are you keeping your team motivated in this moment? How are you keeping some structure and motivation? I mean, I'm on day eleven, and, and I feel a little 12. bit yeah, and I'm starting to feel a little cuckoo. And I've had some wobbly moments where I've been great and I've mm-hmm. done loads of jobs in the house, and then there are other moments when I've just sat and I cried. And I've just been like, what are you crying about? And I can't quite figure it out. But obviously, right. we know what it is. Yeah. What are you doing? Um, a lot of honeydews. A lot of, uh, I painted a dining room yesterday. I did some landscaping um, a couple days ago on Sunday. And, you know, just trying to make the best of it, right? It's like, I have no choice. I can't work. So it's like, yes. what can I do at, what can I do at home to make good use of this time? Um, and so... You know, luckily we have very mild weather here. It's like going to be seventy-one today. It was like eighty yesterday. So, oh my I, god, don't don't be saying I know, that. I know, <laughs> and, and, and I, I put a pool in three years ago, and it's like so. Some days feel like vacation. Yeah. Um, other days are a grind, and you know, my business partner and I spent about three, two and a half hours at the salon yesterday, calling and canceling all of our appointments for next week for the whole staff, and. It is scary. And there's, you're right. There's, there's all these government programs that are coming out, but when you read the documents, they're like seven pages long and I'm not smart enough to understand what they say. Yes. I think a lot of us are going to go through that. Right. So I'm going to call, uh, I'm going to contact a client of mine who is a, she's in the banking business. And I'm going to say, can you, or someone, you know, help us with this process that has all this information because I, I, can't, I can't read these legal documents and make any sense of them at all. 
it's like I start reading it and I get frustrated and I stop reading because I don't speak those languages. So um, as a team, we're trying to just basically be in contact by group text. Um, We're all in this together, just like everybody says. We're helping as much as we can financially with our staff, um, but we'll also help direct them or help um, help them in any way we can with getting government aid and funding and stuff like that. But it's a it's scary. It's really scary. It's like the first week feels like vacation. The second week, yes, nerves kind of set. I'm not sleeping as well. I don't know about you, but I'm waking yeah. up two or three times in the night. And you know, I think with every week that goes by, it's going to get harder, but. I, I firmly believe in my heart, a hundred percent, everything's going to be fine. It's yeah. just, this is kind of a, it's a, it's a test right now. It's going to be fine, but it's going to be different. Yeah, I it think. is going to be different. I think it'll be different. Inspiration. Where are you getting your inspiration from at the moment? Or have you not honed that in yet? Oh no, I, I stay inspired. I mean, Instagram for me is for the, for the last three years has been my greatest tool for inspiration. Um, I get inspiration by watching your voiceover videos, which if I had a voice like you, if I had a voice like you, I would do all voiceovers, <laughs> no music. Well, I am, think- just, just I am thinking of doing that now, actually. I think that could be my next job. I could probably do that from home. You sound like a DJ. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, no, but, um, you know, just staying motivated by podcasts like this, uh, yeah. going, going live a couple of times with friends of mine in the industry. And, um, someone had asked me, uh, about, what do you do when you, when you start to feel kind of down about this? And it's like, these conversations definitely help. Uh, I'll call my buddy, Matt in Minneapolis. He's across the country, but he's going through the same thing I am. So sometimes just a 15, 20 minute conversation with a good friend that's also in the business. It it just, it, like I I said in a, a different interview, I said, it's, it's not a cure, but it does provide a level of comfort, you know, and knowing that, okay, Everybody I talk to is going through this. Yes. And everybody that I'm going to talk to for the next week, month, six months, it's like we're all going to start doing hair again, but it is going to be different. Yeah. And how do you manage that traffic flow when you open the floodgates? Robert Cromine says we're all sitting at a red light and it's about to turn green. Yes. Like, I saw that. Wasn't that great? I mean, yeah. he is so insightful and... So it's, those are things that Emily and I, um, as salon owners really need to discuss. It's like, okay, when we open, do we go back to being double booked or do we sort of like ease off the, off the line and sort of, you know, work towards a full schedule again, because, you know, there's going to be 500 people that want those hundred spots that first week we're open. Yeah. And it's like, that's so... I think planning is really important for what's going on in the future. Uh, I said the other day, uh, define the moment, don't let it define you. I agree. I, I wanted to thank you, Chris, for being such a fantastic guest on the show and also you, a fantastic Insta buddy. I always love chatting with you. For you guys that don't follow Chris, it's Chris Jones underscore hair. It's an amazing account and he's an amazing person. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate you and I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from. iTunes is my favorite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. 
And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolor, C-O-L-O-R.com. Music.